listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. What can I tell you? My name is Eric Daw. I'm your friendly guitar wizard. Now, that doesn't sound right. Guitar scientist. I've been trying to think of a different word other than luthier. I just hate the word luthier. I'm a luthier. Uh, but somebody was giving me a hard time about... I was, I was saying guitar scientist, but... Right. Somebody was giving me a hard time about it on Facebook. Why? Well, they said, sorry, bud, hate to break it to you, but there's no scientific method in your in your job what? of, luth- of luthier. There's I know. lots of science. What you, what, what's the scientific method is what? Hypothesis, experimentation, observation. Yeah, That's sure. That's all those things that you do. You do all those things. Well, I think it's guitar science. I, you know, okay, maybe it's not, uh, you know, Higgs boson level kind of particle collision right. type stuff. Maybe you're more but, of a guitar engineer. Yeah, I suppose. That doesn't sound right, does it? Oh. To me, an engineer drives a train. Anyhow, I'm a guitar wizard. Let's go with that this episode. Okay. I hate to sound self-important like I'm, uh, you know, like a, a self-aggrandizing Like you're a wizard. A wizard? Over 20 years experience, obviously, that makes me a wizard. Building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair. Guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions, which I have a lot of. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode, and we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions, and Dumbledore will answer them. It's Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf, sorry. I know, it sounds really dumb. I'm not a guitar wizard. All right, I'm a luthier. I'm a luthier. I just don't like the word. I I know. I don't know. Whatever. Doesn't sound right, man. This is the show. This is what, this all we got. This is the show. This is me complaining about the word luthier. I'm so sorry we didn't do a show last time around. This is the, it's been a month. You know, I try to keep this on a real regular schedule. The first and the 15th. And uh, the last podcast fell on a holiday. Easter. Yep. And uh, we both, you know, we didn't want to do it on Easter, and so we put it off for a day or two, and then uh, we both fell ill, and we were overwhelmed with all kinds of... uh, Family obligations and... Problems and... Other obligations and... Work, custom orders. Obligation, obligations. Locusts. It was biblical. It was like plague. Right. Like kind of things. 
Let my people go. Sorry, everybody. Anyway, not to complain more. This is so far as three minutes of me complaining in the podcast. No, but I, I apologize. We did not do a show last time around. It was a holiday and whatnot. But here we are with a wonderful show. Lots of good questions. Questions about capacitors. Questions about blocking strat tremolos. Questions about custom guitars. Oh, man. All kinds of good questions. Questions about finish damage. Someone asks advice about how to buy a guitar online and what to look for. Wow. Yeah, a lot of really good questions. So there you go. We'll get into that. And we and we have three, count them, three phone calls. Whoa. Unprecedented. Well, that's what happens when you take a month off, I guess. Yeah, wow. Uh, before we get into all of that, what's on my bench? I've been working on a lot of great things, rewinding some vintage Fender pickups. Wowie. Yeah, I'm just tearing into a vintage, it's a 50s patent applied for Gibson humbucker. Very valuable pickup that is unfortunately dead. Oh dear. Needs to be revived by a guitar wizard like me. So if you had a rewound vintage PAF pickup versus Mm -hmm. a normal one yeah an original one Mm -hmm. is is there a difference in value oh absolutely yeah yeah a rewound one is not going going to uh be worth as much but but a dead one's not going to be worth anything a dead one is a doorstop so uh yeah you might as well rewind it right absolutely yeah but it'll sound great i know how to do them upright and it'll sound great it'll be it'll be good as new what else am i working on uh some some refrets. I'm doing a refret on a vintage Jazzmaster, Fender, wow. Fender Jazzmaster. Yeah. What else? I'm gonna try to. Uh, uh, there's this crazy uh, parlor guitar that a customer brought me that's just been through the mill. Um, so I'm gonna try to do a restoration on that. Cool. Yeah. What else? Making custom pickups, making Bakelite pickguards. You know, I make my own Bakelite pickguards. Like I the. Uh, the 50s-style Telecaster pickguards, you know? Cool. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to start offering those for sale on the website soon. Nice. Yeah, I've been selling them here and there, you know, piecemeal to some some folks, some people. Some people who know the right questions. Well, yeah, they're like, hey, Eric, I, you got any more of them uh, Bakelite pickguards? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I make them. Cool. Anyway, I can tell there's enough demand that I, sh- I need to start making them to sell, so... That's what's going on around here. Melissa's been busy. She's been building garden beds. Yeah. I was uh, using a a miter saw today. You're crazy. And then I used a screw gun. How about you? Also known as a drill. She's been doing a lot of custom order straps, too, so that's pretty cool. Yep. Guitar straps, you know, leather ones, you know, like, like they do. Oh, yeah. Should we, uh, oh, you know, I got the nicest package in the mail. A wonderful listener. Would you, he included a letter. Would you read this letter for me? I will read it. This is, this made, this really made my day. Hello, Eric. My bandmate Micah and I found this tie in a vintage shop. It looks like a regular vintage tie, but if you look at the liner in the back, you will see the pinup girl. We thought of you right away when we saw it. I don't know if you're a tie type of guy. But I know you love vintage stuff, so hope you like it. And thanks for the podcast, the helpful info, and the amazing pickups. Zach in Ohio. 
Zach, buddy. You know, I've, I'd heard about these. I knew that they existed, and I'd never even seen one. Wow. It's a tie. It just looks like a tie. It's just a normal tie, like just a dude wearing a tie. But if you lift it up and look underneath and inside the lining, it's lined with fabric that has a pinup girl on it. It's, it's really, really cool. I know. It's really cool. And it's a cool tie anyway, too. It's like a skinny... Like kind yeah. of blue and, and green striped thing. It's I awesome. Don't, I only wear a tie a few times a year, you know, weddings and funerals and such, whatever else, holiday. Right. Whatever. But that's my tie now. That's the only tie I'm going to wear. Thanks, dude. I, I really appreciate it. That's cool. Super cool. Shall we take some calls? Let's do it. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is Sean from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, love your podcast, love everything that you're doing. I heard about it on the Fretboard Journal podcast, and I've been spending the last few weeks listening to all 56 episodes, and I'm just absolutely loving it. So um, for my question, I have a hypothetical situation for you, Eric, that uh, may or may not be related to an instrument that I own personally. So, um, so let's say, hypothetically, you get a guitar in for a repair. It's a broken headstock. Typical Gibson-style break and everything. So you get it into your shop, and you reattach the headstock, glue it and clamp it, make sure it's all stable and everything, and that, that, that part of the repair is done. So now, hypothetically, of course, um, now that it's repaired, you have, you know, a crack in the neck where that joint is. Crack maybe a couple little chips and everything. It's visible, and, you know, you can feel it whenever you're running your thumb across the neck and everything. And I'm just curious, how would you go about making that crack and those chips disappear? Um, also, in this hypothetical situation, the back of the neck of the guitar is painted in a satin black finish. Um, so, once again, hypothetically, how would you go from reattaching the headstock to making that line and the chips disappear on a satin black neck? I have an idea of how I would go about doing this myself, but I kind of want to hear an expert's opinion before I create my own guitar repair horror story. So uh, thanks again for everything you're doing on the podcast, and I can't wait to hear your reply. Thanks. Bye. Yes, it's Sean calling from Allentown. Are we recording? What, you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know that song? No. Sean, hypothetically speaking, just just let's just say hypothetically, uh, put it in the garbage. You, geez, <laughs> um, really, the only way to make that completely disappear. I mean, if you really want to make an invisible headstock repair, the only way to do it that I know of, unless you're some kind of you know magician, is to refinish it. Wow. You you got to sand it down and prep it, level it out. You know, you're going to have to fill any chips or anything like that with some kind of filler and uh, smooth it out and seal it and prime it and refinish it, respray it. That's the only way I know of to make it totally, completely invisible. Well, but you can do a pretty good job of it. Without... You can make it look way better. It won't be invisible. But that's, he said, how do I make it invisible? Okay. 
but that's what would you do in this situation? Because well, it you depends would not on what the customer the wants. It depends on what the customer wants. Sometimes you can refinish it, especially on a black guitar. You can refinish it and uh, make it look pretty much invisible. Black satin is a little tougher. Black gloss is actually easier. Black satin that's a little that's a little trickier because ma- trying to match the sheen of new finish with old finish uh, is going to be difficult. There's a number of things you can do. Um, you know, the the way that I always used to do it way, 20 years ago, the way that I was taught 25 years ago, I don't know, you know, you, we uh, used to, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming this is a poly finish guitar. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but poly finish. Uh, you can drop fill with super glue. Mm-hmm. You want to color it first, so you want to, you know, stain it black and then uh, you can drop fill with super glue and then you can with razor blades smooth the glue down flat well don't they sell black super glue and i was just gonna say now they sell black super glue stumac does Stuart mcdonald i have had uh, now i've had mixed results with it i had a batch that seemed like it worked perfectly and then i had another batch that seemed like it never really quite cured and I don't know if it was because it sat on the shelf too long in my shop or what, but your mileage may vary with the uh, with the colored, with the black super glue. Mm. It was tricky. Anyhow, um, there's a number of ways it can be done. It can be drop filled with super glue and then smoothed out and uh, sanded. And then once you kind of get it smoothed out, you can match, you can match a satin or matte finish with Scotch-Brite. You can kind of rough it up with Scotch Brite and match match the uh, sheen pretty well, but it's tricky. It's very tricky. You could also drop fill with lacquer and then smooth it out, but that's you know I'd really only recommend that if you're working with a lacquer guitar there, a lacquer finish, because the n- new lacquer as you drop fill the crack, the new lacquer will kind of melt into the old lacquer. Right. And that can that can create a pretty good repair. Uh there's all kinds there's all kinds of ways to do it. I've seen a lot of different guys do a lot of different things. I've I know a guy in Seattle who when he does repaired headstocks on Gibsons, he'll make a stinger, which is on some old high-end Gibsons the the back of the headstock is black. Uh-huh. And then the black terminates at a point. It's like a little triangle right. that comes down to where, kind of almost to where your hand would be on the first fret, you know? Yep, I've seen that. And uh, he'll go and repair a headstock and then just, ma- you know, mask off a little triangle and make a stinger. Not the not the best way to, d- I don't know, it's okay. It looks cool. Yeah. But it looks really out of place on like a Les Paul Special. Right. So, a lot of different ways to do it, but the, really the only way to do it and have it be completely invisible is to refinish it. And, you know, you don't have to refinish the whole guitar. You're just refinishing... Just that spot? Just, you know, from like, I don't know, like the th- third or fifth fret or something up. But The whole headstock, too? Yeah, typically, typically... Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you really want it to be invisible, that's the way to do it. Wow. But it's very, I mean, 
It's difficult to do. It's hard to match everything up, but uh, it can be done. Yeah. Well, good luck, Sean, with your hypothetical guitar. Absolutely. Let's take another call. Hey, guys. So I recently bought a Taylor 514 with a pretty substantial top crack down the center from the bridge on down. I played it. It sounded really good. So the guy who sold it to me had a Takamini with what looked like a red sea was parted across the top of this guitar. There was like six cracks and they were flaring up. I mean, it's pretty bad. And this was his main guitar. So my question is, how much do serious top cracks affect the tone? Or is it a matter of what guitar it is, what bracing, and the location of the cracks? Because these two guitars didn't seem to be affected at all. And that was shocking. So, all right. Thanks for the podcast. Thanks for your time. And thanks for those great T-Stop pickups you made for me. And thanks, Mel, for that uh, nice keychain. I got to work out a design for a custom strap one day. All right, guys. Later. Right on. Thank you, and thanks for ordering some pickups. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, top cracks. Theoretically, uh, it absolutely uh, uh, diminishes the tone of your guitar. Now, but? Everything's theoretical here. Every guitar is going to be different because not all guitars are the same. The location of the crack, how bad it is, what's going on with the braces, that these all come into play. So, sure, there can be guitars that are cracked that still sound great. The more important issue to me is uh, the structural integrity of the guitar. Um, a guitar with a top crack, that crack is going to, uh, if it's left unchecked, is going to get worse. And you're going to end up with loose braces. You're going to end up with potentially more serious problems um, if it goes unchecked. And your friend's guitar there with the with the Red Sea parted down with six cracks in the top. Um, Is your friend Moses? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I mean, it's a guitar that if I saw it for sale, I wouldn't buy it because of those issues, hmm. you know? So, uh, but, you know, you bought a Taylor just with one crack. That's not a big deal. I would get it glued up, though, if I were you, because it's not going to hurt the sound to get it glued up. And it'll just protect the, the structural it's, integrity. It's, it, it will, yeah, it will help preserve the longevity of that guitar. Absolutely. That's my opinion. Thanks for the call. Hey, Eric. Colin from Valparaiso, Indiana here. Uh, quick question for you. Uh, I've got a tunematic bridge, and it's awfully corroded from you know, playing with sweat and grime getting into it. Um, I was wondering what the best way would be to go about cleaning it out. It's a chrome-plated bridge. Um, I don't know if I should take every little piece apart and uh, clean it that way, or if maybe there's something I could soak it in and maybe wipe that crud right off. Anyway... Uh, thanks for uh, taking time to listen to my question. Hope to hear it on the show. Thanks for the call, Colin. I appreciate it. Uh, I uh, there's there's a few different ways to clean that up. You know, believe it or not, you could soak it in Coca Cola. Wow. Yeah. People drink that stuff. I am not kidding. You could soak it in Coca Cola, and that actually does a pretty good job. Soak it overnight. The other thing you can do is try soaking it in vinegar. That does a pretty good job, too. 
And then once you get it out, um, you can take an old toothbrush and uh, scrub it down, you know. Can't, no, not a new toothbrush? Couldn't well, be a I new mean, one. Well, I mean, you don't want to use your, your, the toothbrush you're currently brushing your teeth with. I don't That's know, what people I mean. drink Coca-Cola all the time. Wouldn't that be just Coca-Cola on your toothbrush? And uh, you can brush it down and, you know, clean it up. And uh, and you want to make sure you get all the Coca-Cola or vinegar or whatever you soak it in. You want to make sure you get all that off and cleaned off. You know, maybe clean it under the tap. You know, run some water over it. And then once you get it cleaned off, I would shoot it down with a little bit of WD-40. And then, uh, and then wipe that all up with a paper towel, you know, clean it up. Mm-hmm. Just a nice, you know, just to get all the corrosion off. If it's pitted, then that's not going to come off. It's it's if it's pitted, then the chrome plating is actually damaged. But um, all the surface rust will come off pretty pretty well if you soak it overnight in Coca Cola. So give that a whirl. Sweet. See, yeah, let me know. Let me know how that turns out. We have many emails. Let's read some. Hello again, Eric and Melissa. My question revolves around a Harmony H49 Stratotone Jupiter reissue I recently acquired, but in general, it is about capacitors. I had a real one of these years ago and it sounded so good, but it just didn't play very well. This one came up for a reasonable price, so I nabbed it, proceeded to level, crown, and polish the frets, and now I have the opposite problem. It plays great, but it sounds like Hey. (laughs) That's what it says. I'm sorry. I'm just reading the question. So I decided to gut it. Everything, pots, bridge, tuners, everything. I even found a set of real DeArmond gold foil pickups, just trying to get it as close to stock as possible to recapture that sound. So when I got to the capacitors, I realized I am completely in the dark. Is a .1 the same as a .10? A .0015 is the same as a .15? UF, MDF, volts? What does it all mean? And are the proper new old stock capacitors really going to make that big of a difference in the, in tone? Thanks for any advice, Sean in Seattle. Thanks, Sean. Uh, first of all, uh, in my opinion, no the 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 new old stock capacitors aren't going to make any difference in tone. If you want to hear more about that, there's one of the old podcasts is dedicated to that, uh, where we actually did a shootout. And we compared five different capacitors, uh, ranging in price from fifty dollars to one penny, and uh, the sound was all the tone was all almost identical. So electrons don't care; they're gonna they're gonna see the capacitor. They see the they see the um, electrical properties of the capacitor and not the price. So. Uh, and as far as uh, explaining capacitors to you, I understand your confusion. It confuses a lot of people. It's it's a very strange <laughs> it's a very strange deal. Uh, so when you see MF or MFD or UF, those are all basically the same thing. Uh, UF, and sometimes you'll see U. Like it's a combination of a U and a P. It has a it has like a tail on the left. It's a U with a tail on the left, like a P would have. Uh-huh. UF U, 
uh, MF, MFD. Basically, they're all the same thing, and it means it means uh, uh, microfarads. That's basically what it means. Um, technically, they're different, but they they don't. Nobody nobody differentiates. So uh, technically, MFD represents millifarads. So so a farad. If I if I back up here a moment, a farad. You could think of a farad as just a me, a unit of measurement. Right. And it's a unit of measurement of capacitance, and capacitance is the ability of something to store an electric charge. Right, and it's named after. Michael Faraday. Right. Who also invented the Faraday cage, right? Yeah, so Farad, right? And the problem with a Farad is that it's huge. It's a huge uh, unit of measurement. Right. So we break it down into microfarads and nanofarads and picofarads, you know, just fractions, right? Uh, and uh, so there's, so they abbreviate that in into MF and UF. Um, technically, MF represents millifarad and UF stands for microfarad, but uh, the, that's where the confusion starts because all the older capacitor manufacturers used them interchangeably, MF and UF. So they've become to mean the same thing. And I don't know if it was because their machines couldn't print the little the weird little symbol, the U with the tail on it, or whatever reason, I don't know. But it was common practice to interchangeably use MF and UF. So now they basically mean the same thing, uh, even though technically they don't. But they do. Nowadays they do. So, And we still see uh, capacitor manufacturers, they'll mark caps as MFD, but that doesn't mean millifarad. That means, that means microfarads. Interesting. Yeah. So there's no right or wrong. I mean, some manufacturers use MF and some use MFD and some use UF. Um, but that's all the same thing. And it's like this, like this is all the same measurement. 0 0.01 microfarads uh -huh. is the same as 10 nanofarads, which is the same as 10,000 picofarads. How about that? Okay, but... They're not labeled as picofarads. So it's Some are. A really tiny oh, really? capacitor. Yeah, a really, really, really tiny oh, capacitor dear. might be labeled. But it, it wouldn't be 10,000 picofarads. Right. Right. If you see a 0.01 UF or a 0.01 MF capacitor, that's 0.01 microfarads. I see. Yeah. It's it, larger to smaller. It goes milli, micro, nano, and pico. Is that that sounds like the names of some sort of like quadruplets in a children's story. It's actually the name of uh, different Pokemon characters. I just made it all up. Thanks. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I know I I get that it's confusing, and I'm you're probably even more confused by my explanation. But uh, a point one mf capacitor is the same as a point one o, right? And a point zero zero one five is not the same as a point one five. It all depends on what it's marked as. So, uh, and the difference they make is in 
the way that the tone rolls off when you turn the knob. Huh. So a bigger capacitor, like a .022, is going to take more treble off than a .01 would. Right. And a .1 is going to take even more off than a .022 or a .05. Right. And the, that's all microfarads. MF, MFD, or UF, and they, everybody kind of, uh, you know, like I say, they, they all mark them differently. So it is confusing. Voltage, I wouldn't worry about. Uh, he asks about volts. Um, in a passive circuit like guitar, I would just use the smallest voltage capacitor you can get because there's hardly any voltage in a guitar, so you don't need a big voltage capacitor. Uh, typically, you'll find, you know, if you're using like an orange drop capacitor, you want to get the 200 volt instead of the 600 volt because the 600 volt is a big, huge, hurricane thing. Oh. It's a large capacitor. Yeah. Anyway, Melissa's bored, so <laughs> that means I'm done with this question. I hope that helped, Sean. I don't know if it did or not, but uh, you might be more confused than uh, you were before. But thanks for the question. Hey, Eric. Hey, Melissa. Love the show. I have a Gibson L6S, which has some minimal water damage, which I think occurred in 1976 when the guitar was very young. I've had the guitar for over five years now, and the water damage doesn't appear to be getting worse. I'm sending along pictures and wonder if you would recommend getting some work done to repair the damage, which seems to be solely cosmetic, or if you would recommend leaving it alone. If you would recommend it having having it fixed, what would the process be like? What are the options, etc.? I've sent along pictures of the case, which took on water as well. Thanks for your time. Great show. Danny Beltrain, Boise, Idaho. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Uh, Beltran. Yeah. I, I took a look at the pictures that uh, he sent along, and I, I would leave it on a... On a on a vintage Gibson like that, you know, it's pretty minimal, and uh, I would just leave it because any kind of alteration that you get into there is going to be just as obvious as the repair almost. I mean, it's going to be hard to blend it in, and uh, it's just part of that guitar. Now, I, you know, I would just leave it. That's my that's my recommendation. It really is. That's my recommendation. If you wanted to have uh, it... Uh, partially refinished it could be done and the paint could be matched pretty well but you'd be spending a lot of money to to have something done that um in my opinion it doesn't really increase the value of the guitar any because uh water damage and partial refin to me are you know hurt the uh the value of the instrument in about the same way. So right. it's a lateral move and I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. Hey, Eric, what are your thoughts on locking off a Stratocaster bridge? By locking off, I mean rigging it up so that the bridge is stationary by wedging something in there. I rigged my Mexican Strat up with pennies and a few hours of adjusting and it's worked just fine for me. Not going out of tune when played heavy, heavy handed. Colin. Thanks, Colin. The other way to do it is to uh, put all five springs in there and tighten them up tight. And that's that's usually what I recommend. That's the easiest way and the least obtrusive. You can, a lot of players can't, you know, you can put a wooden block in there. 
uh, in the cavity in between the trem block and the rest of the guitar body, which keeps the vibrato from moving, you know, but you have to cut just the exact right size piece of wood and put it in there, and tightening up the springs does the same thing. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Colin. Hey, Eric, I enjoy your podcast and was wondering what the song snippets at the start are. I would love to find a backing track for the (laughs) second one. Also, thanks for turning me on to XRDS. Lee. (laughs) Thanks, Lee. You know, I hate to say it, but I'm off of XRDS. They kind of... Oh, no. Well, they're a great... They're a great blue stream. When I first started listening to them, they were playing the stuff I love. Muddy Waters, Slim Harpo, Howlin' Wolf. You know, really good blues. Yeah. Robert Johnson, you know, all kinds of good blues. And then as soon as I made the recommendation, out came the guys in Hawaiian shirts and cargo shorts, like the 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 dad blues, the the uh, fanny pack blues guys come out. And they started playing all that. I'm going, what is going on here? No offense to all the dad blues players out there. Hey, I'm a dad and I play blues, so I can say this, you know? Okay. It's like when, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> but What? It's like what? <laughs> nothing. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I'm more of a traditional guy. I like the traditional blues, and they do play a lot of modern blues that I just, I don't know, I, I couldn't. Hey, it's it's pretty good. It's a good station. Anyway, Lee, I'm glad you like it. The song snippets at the start of the podcast are me. It's me. In in an old band that I used to be in called the Satellite Four. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty cool band. Well, it was all right, and you could find that pretty easily online. You can listen to it for free online if you go to uh, our the Bandcamp site, which I'm sure is still up. The band is called the Satellite Four. And Bandcamp is just a site where you can put your music up, and uh, you can easily find it there. The Satellite 4, the number 4, not spelled out F-O-U-R, but the number 4, Satellite 4. Thank you for the question, Lee. Eric and Mel, thank you for taking some time on the the last episode to answer my questions on the options you provide for your pinup custom guitars. I knew most of the answers were player preference, but I'm pleased that you spent some time talking about high fret height with relation to bending and pickup winding for tone. One more for you. Do you provide an option for a compound radius neck? If not, why not? I'd like to hear some comments on this as a neck option. Thank you, Scott in Calgary, Canada. Uh, Scott, thanks for the question. And, uh, I appreciate it. Um, do I provide an option for a compound radius neck? I don't. And the reason I don't is because I'm just, I'm more of a traditionalist guy. And uh, traditionally, the style of guitars that I make don't have a compound radius. And I, frankly, as a player, never feel the need uh I never feel like I that, that that's what I need. I've never felt like, well, this guitar would be great if it had a compound radius. It's just one of those things that um, is fine if that's what you're into, but it's not my thing. I'm more of a traditionalist. And uh, if somebody really, really, really pushed me and really wanted that on a custom guitar, I'm sure I could make it happen for you, but it's just not something that I think about as an option to 
to uh, provide on my custom builds. So there you have it. Cool. Shall we take a quick break? Oh, yeah. We'll be right back after these so very important messages. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured guitar pick of the day and reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Hey guys, it's Eric. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I've been repairing guitars for a long time. Building guitars, too. Uh, if you've got a guitar that you need help with, I really, I would love to help you. I take repairs from all over the country. Sometimes a guitar is really special and, and you really are careful about who you take it to. If you don't have a person that you can really rely on in your area, I would love to help you out. It's really easy to ship a guitar these days. I do it all the time. It's nothing to worry about. You can insure it. Uh, ship it to me. Maybe you've got a repair that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a, a pickup that needs to be rewound. Get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about it. You can send me some pictures of it. We can see what I can do for you. Maybe I can give you a quote on how much it would be to repair your guitar if you send me some pictures. So let me know. I would love to help you. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. I repair guitars. I kind of specialize in, in vintage Fender restorations, but I do all kinds of work. Finishes and pickups and electronics and neck resets, broken headstocks, you name it. I would love to help you. So get a hold of me. You can do so through my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. And I look forward to helping you. Thank you. 
Hey guys, I recently bought my acoustic to get a setup from a reputable, highly touted guitar tech. It's been my main baby for about a year. Needless to say, I know the feel. Now I find my pinky slips off the fret at times on the high E. It doesn't happen on my other guitars. Could he have botched the job or did a perfect job and my guitar came with frets that were just too angled? I want to cry. That's from Anonymous. Yeah. He said he wants his name withheld because uh, he's afraid that his guitar tech listens to the show. I think that's he, pretty unlikely. And he doesn't want, well, I don't know. And he doesn't want there to be, uh, you right. know, any uh, right bad... Bad vibes, bad juju. Anyhow, um, I talked to him a little bit back and forth in the email there and uh, found out that it's it's his nut spacing that's off. And it came that way from the factory. It's his what? The nut, the spacing of the nut. Oh. So, so the string spacing, um, it should be, so your, your E strings, your low and your high E, should be about an eighth of an inch in uh-huh. from the edge. His were about a sixteenth. They were really close to the wow. edge. Yeah, they were very close to the edge. And it wasn't anything his guitar tech did. It was the, the guitar just came that way. And uh, I think what happened is he got it set up. The action was lower. And now a problem oh. that had always been there became apparent. I see. So anyway, I think he he got the nut replaced and everything's good. So there you go. Cool. Thank you so much for your podcast. I have only recently discovered you all, and it makes me wonder what I did before. Me too. I started building resophonic guitars about two years ago as a hobby. What does that mean? The resonator with the big metal uh, with the big metal cone. Okay. In there. Yeah. I have built eight, and I am learning a lot on each one. My question is, is there a nitrocellulose lacquer that you recommend, and do you have any tips that you can pass along? I use an HVLP with a compressor currently. Thank you so much, and please keep up the great work. Stephen from Kentucky. Thanks, Stephen. I really don't. And the reason why is because uh, lacquer is so finicky, and everybody kind of has a different um everybody kind of has a different experience uh depending on how you spray it and how you mix it and what the temperature is and what your humidity is i would say find something that works best for you because i've made recommendations to people before and then they come back and they say well that didn't work at all <laughs> you know so I really don't, I try not to, that's one thing that I try not to really ever do is talk about the, uh, the lacquer that I use because A, I kind of, uh, well, I'll just tell you, I've tried them all as far as I, you know, all the, I've bought, my God, every one that I could find to try and I've settled on what works for me, but I've read on forums and I've talked to other painters and guitar makers, uh, the lacquer that I'm using, uh, some people hate it. So your mileage really will vary a lot. And, uh, what I would say to you is try a bunch of them and see which one you like and see which one works best for you. That's, that's my advice. Thanks, Stephen. I have an Ampeg AEB base that I'm wanting to restore. Two questions. 
The body is multi-piece in plywood and is cupped to the point that the pick guard will not lay flat. Wow. The pick guard is ply plastic and over one eighth of an inch thick and not flexible. Do you have any suggestions on how to reform the body to lay flat? Second, the pick guard has been spray painted black. How do I remove the paint? Acetone acetone and thinner naphtha haven't worked, and I don't want to ruin the top ply of the guard. Thank you for your answers, Dan. Thanks, Dan. I cannot believe that acetone didn't remove spray paint. Are you sure it's spray painted? Are you sure? Uh... if acetone and thinner didn't remove spray paint, I, I'm. That's really, really surprising to me. I don't know how that's possible. Anyway, uh, as a next step, you could sand it off, but you will. You'll have to sand. It's it's almost like sanding a finish. You have to go down, uh, progressively into smaller and smaller grits and end up with like a. 1200 or 2000, 1500 grit, really fine grit, and then polish the plastic. And it can be done. You can, you can polish the plastic back up to a high gloss, but, um, I just, I don't understand why acetone and paint thinner isn't removing spray paint. That, that's, that seems really weird to me. And the body is so warped that the pickguard won't lay flat. It's multi-piece plywood. Hmm. That's that's tough, too. Uh, you could try... Um, I would try clamping it to a workbench and uh, putting, trying to put some pressure on it and see if you can reverse that and leave it there for, like, you know, weeks, maybe a month. See if you can get that to reverse. Wood will bend, uh, especially if you heat it up. So maybe maybe if you put it in a really hot room, or if you wanted to heat it up with a heat gun a little bit, and then clamp it, see if you can get that straightened out. That's a tough one. I've never seen that before. I don't know what to tell you on that, Dan. I'm sorry, man. Thanks for your question. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I live in an area that doesn't offer much in the way of used guitars. Hence, I usually mail order instruments and gear from eBay or Reverb.com. This is always a gamble when buying a guitar, especially when the seller posts crappy photos and does a poor job writing a description. Can you comment on what questions to ask and what photos to request when considering a used guitar online purchase? Thanks, and keep up the great work you are doing. Scott. Thanks, Scott. I, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of things that you want to do. Anytime you're buying from a reverb or an eBay seller, look at what else they have listed. If it's a bunch of, uh, on eBay, if it's a bunch of like, you know, clothes or camera equipment, or if it's, you know, not guitars, that's a little bit worrisome. Reverb is better because if you're on reverb, if it, if you're selling on reverb, it means you know about gear or at least more so than uh some of the people on eBay because reverb is dedicated to guitars only so right um i like to see a picture of the neck looking from the headstock down to the body to to see what to see if the neck is warped or not right i like to see a picture of 
the string height at the 12th or 14th fret and see what the uh, see what the string height is. And uh, you know, if you if you're if you're skeptical, if they have crummy pictures, that's really that can really be a red flag because I I don't know, it's hard it's a gamble. It that's what it's going to be. If the pictures are bad, it's going to be a gamble. You right. just you don't know. You might accidentally get a really good guitar. But um I would pepper them with questions about the guitar, say, you know, what's the nut width? What what's the uh output of the pickups? And if they say I sorry, I don't know. I don't know about guitars. Well, there's your red flag. Yeah. But you know, ask them some technical questions about guitars and see how they respond. Even if you already know the answer, or even if you don't need to know the answer, uh, see how they respond to some technical questions. That's what I would try doing if you're really concerned. Um, if it's a known quantity, if you're just if you're buying a Squire, a Fender Squire or something, there's a billion of them, and I mean, right. you kind of know what you're getting. Right. As long as the neck isn't warped or as long as it hasn't been, you know, used as a a baseball bat, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, so uh, ask questions, ask for extra pictures, specifically looking down the neck and, you know, a side shot of the neck, like a close-up uh, to see how high the action is. You know, these are these are good things to know. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. I recently started listening to your podcast, and I love all the information I've gotten so far. I'm just getting. I'm just about finished all the episodes that are available so far, and will likely start round two pretty soon. I'm just getting into the guitar making world after years of wanting to, and bought a fixer upper at a pawn shop. It's a Gibson style guitar with a broken neck. What are your thoughts on going to a bolt on neck instead of a set neck on it? Everett. I don't know. That's a hard one to really say. Uh, it's it's not a Gibson. It's a Gibson style. Right. So he's... Uh, yeah. He bought a fixer-upper. It's a Gibson style with a broken neck. I suppose you could do a bolt-on neck. I don't know why you would. Um... That's I guess that's my I guess that's my quandary with the uh with your solution. Why why would you do that? Um you you could replace the neck probably with another set neck. You know, there are manufacturers out there that will sell that sell set neck uh replacement options. But if it's not really a Gibson uh, it's going to be a crapshoot as to whether or not something like that fits. Um, the neck is broken. I don't know. He, does he need to replace the neck? Can you, can you repair what's going on there? I guess I would need more information, basically, is what I'm saying, Everett. Um, but I don't know why you would want to do a bolt-on neck instead of a set neck if it's a Gibson-style guitar. Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question, man. Eric and Melissa, are you familiar with this modification, and would you recommend this for airline travelers? I'm sure you've seen this in Dan Erlewine's book. The Knights of Trash do travel to California a couple times a year, and this has always interested me. 
Taking your your guitar on an airplane is a pain in the butt these days. It seems a T-style guitar could handle this. I'd never do it on a vintage piece, but maybe on a custom build. Have you ever done this for a customer? What are your thoughts? Love the show and love you too. Zach in Burien. Thanks, Zach. If you feel like you're missing some information there, it's because you are. Zach sent a picture. Okay. Yeah. What is it a picture of? Well, it's a picture from Dan Erlewine's book where... uh, you take the neck off of a Fender-style guitar, uh-huh. and then you uh, drill out the holes in the neck where where the mount the mounting holes in right. the neck. You drill them out larger, and then you put a metal insert in there that accepts a machine screw. And so now you have a neck that bolts to your guitar with machine screws. The machine screws thread into the inserts in the neck rather than wood screws, which supposedly are going to fatigue by taking the neck on and off a bunch of times. Okay. Yeah. So, theoretically, if you travel a lot and taking a a guitar with you is really, it really is a pain. Uh Uh-huh. The way airlines are now. Um, You could take the neck off. And put it back on as many times as you want and never damage the wood. Right. Because it's a machine screw. So, yeah. Uh, I've done that to my guitar. Oh, really? Yeah, my telly that I've had for 20 years now. uh, I've done that to my guitar because the uh, neck had been off enough times that it's just, the wood is just tired and uh, it just wasn't. Huh. Yeah. So it has inserts in there, and they're machine screw inserts, even though I never really travel, and I don't travel with that guitar. But, yeah, it's a good thing to do uh, if you're going to travel a lot. It's something that I've done on my guitar. It's not something that I go, I, I don't, like, recommend to people, you know, like, just off the cuff, like, hey, you should do this because it's going to be better for right everything. Your life's going to be better if you do this. <laughs> but if you travel a lot, it's not a bad option. Cool. Absolutely. Thanks, Zach. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Eric, do you do do you build your tellies with modern jumbo frets and flatter radiuses, or do you strictly stick with vintage specs? Cheers, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. I offer, um, basically I offer seven and a quarter inch radius vintage style and then the flatter 10 inch radius and that's about it i don't really do 12 inch radius on a fender style guitar that seems weird to me to have a 12 inch radius and big jumbo frets but i would do it if somebody really wanted that i you know i can certainly do it um medium frets and a 10 inch radius to me are plenty modern you know, but if somebody really wanted super, super jumbo bass frets and a 12 inch radius, I'd do it. But it's not an op. If you go to my website and look at the options, it's not there. Yeah. Right. But, you know, a lot of people email me from the website and say, hey, I really want one of your guitars, but I don't see this particular option. Can you please do this for me? And I do, you know, humb- right. humbuckers in the neck position and. Anodized pick guards and all kinds of things. 
I've been making a lot of custom orders. You know, I have a huge list of people on my email list uh-huh. waiting to hear about available guitars. And I haven't had anything to email them about for a year, probably, because wow. people are ordering guitars and I don't have time to make guitars just to post for sale. Which is a great problem to have, but if you've been watching the website and waiting for me to post guitars, like, I thought this guitar made, I, I thought this guy made guitars. Where's all his guitars? I make them and then I ship them out. They never hit the website. They're all pre-sold. Well. Yeah. Well, that's pretty sweet. Well, it's a good problem to have, but that's that's what's going on with it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. That's the show. If you like the show, tell a friend. Share it on Facebook or uh, whatever social media platform you use. If you have a moment, you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It does help us reach more people, and that helps us get more questions, and it will just improve the show. So, the other thing to do is participate. You can do that by going to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. The other way to do it is to call 757 757- Seven seven four eight four eight two. That number wasn't working for a while. For some reason, it was just ringing my cell phone, and I was answering the phone and getting some very surprised people on the other end of the phone. <laughs> uh, Eric? <laughs> but I fixed all that now. If you call that number, it will just go straight to a voicemail somewhere in cyberspace. And uh, you can leave your question or comment there, 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for participating. And we'll see you in two weeks. Good night.